This is Pastor Hal Mayer, bringing you another vital message to help you understand the times in which we live, so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. My dear friends, my message this month is a very sobering message. The words of Jesus concerning the destruction of the world are about to be fulfilled. A great crisis for the whole world is coming very soon. Please listen very carefully as the message unfolds. You will hear of incredible things, yet these are only the beginning of sorrows. Jesus promises that not one of his followers will be lost, and he promises to sustain us in the coming chaos. But before we begin, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we look into the things of God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will warn us of the things to come and of the necessary preparation that we must make to be ready. Help us to understand the words of Jesus more clearly, and may we get a clearer glimpse of his love and power. The whole world will face a fearful time, and it is just around the corner. Yet Jesus promises his faithful followers that he will be with them. Please fulfill that promise. Please, Lord, help us understand this more fully. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the 24th chapter of Matthew, beginning with the 6th verse through the verse 8. Jesus is talking with his disciples. He is answering a question that was bothering them. They thought it was nearly time for Jesus to manifest himself in power and great glory and take over the temporal rule of the earth. But they were mistaken. Jesus mercifully warned them of the times to come before they would see him in the clouds of glory. Likewise, these words are a warning to us who live at the end of time. We should tremble when we read the media concerning what is coming upon this earth in a short time. It is exactly as Jesus predicted it would be in general terms. But the details are shocking. Many thinking people are watching with bated breath, trying to deal with the implications of what they see coming. They stand in awe at the unfolding events, anxiously wondering what is going to happen next. Jesus said, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. My friends, the troubles that are coming upon this world in the very near future are only the beginning of sorrows. The people of this world are going to be thrown into a most troublous time that will cause the rejecters of God's truth great sorrow and terror perhaps the greatest agony and misery this world has ever known. People in the Western world are used to comforts and conveniences that make them soft, 
They have a lifestyle that is making them unprepared for the stark conditions that will come upon them. Those in less developed nations have a better training for the difficulties of the very last days. As mindful men and women gaze into the perplexing future, they see threatenings and forebodings on the world political stage. What can they do? Will they ever see peace? Will international tensions ever be solved? I wonder how many of us really understand Jesus' words. Jesus was predicting a terrible time of earthly tumult and trouble. Wars and rumors of wars are something that we read about daily. Right now, there are many wars going on. There is the high-profile conventional war in Iraq. There is a war in Sudan, Congo, Nigeria, Chechnya, and many more. There are rumors that North Korea and Iran are building up their nuclear war arsenals. And there are other nations that are trying to do the same. There is terrorism in Egypt, London, Riyadh, Casablanca, Istanbul, Madrid, and the United States, along with many other places. Terrorism is a war with unconventional armies and with unconventional tactics. The terror war is not one-sided. There are two or more sides planning and strategizing. The focus has been largely on Al-Qaeda, though there are many, many terrorist groups around the world. Terrorism is just as much a war as any other. Terrorist networks are becoming widely dispersed and highly decentralized. On July 24, 2005, the New York Times reported the comments of Mr. Paul R. Piller, who is the National Intelligence Officer responsible for the Near East and South Asia. He wrote last year that the looser the operational connections become and the less Islamist terrorism is instigated by a single figure, the harder it will be to uncover exploitable links and the more likely that the instigators of future terrorist attacks will escape the notice of U.S. intelligence. In a more decentralized network, these individuals will go unnoticed, not because data on analyst screens is misinterpreted, but because they will never appear on those screens in the first place. It is Al-Qaeda that takes the grand stage in this war because they have the capabilities and the willpower to do significant damage to the United States and to the rest of the world. And they intend to do it, possibly with a chemical or biological weapon or a so-called dirty bomb which is a relatively small nuclear device. Listen to this from the book Education, page 179. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living. Rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, have their attention fixed upon the events taking place around us. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist between the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element. 
and they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. Do these things interest you? They should be very interesting to every faithful Seventh-day Adventist. Remember, these world problems are part of the fulfilling prophecies. I wonder how many Seventh-day Adventists are watching these things and paying attention. How many good SDAs are ready to take the message of the soon-coming world chaos and Jesus' return to these worried, perplexed, and anxious souls and teach them how to escape? Too few of our members are even paying attention, let alone preparing to give the trumpet a very certain sound. Recently, a fearful article was published concerning the nuclear devastation that is planned by Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda, according to a World Net Daily report in, on July 18, 2005, has developed plans for a nuclear attack on the United States. The plan came to light shortly after the September 11 attacks in 2001. Al-Qaeda plans to attack the nine U.S. cities with the highest Jewish populations, according to captured leaders and documents. Osama bin Laden is planning what he calls an American Hiroshima. Imagine that! An American Hiroshima? Think for a moment what happened to Hiroshima. The following information was gleaned from the Avalon Project at Yale Law School, from the A-Bomb Museum, Time Magazine, August 17, 1891, uh, 1981, I'm sorry, and July 24, 2005, and from personal survivor and rescuer accounts, all available on the web. When the Enola Gay B-52 bomber dropped the first atomic bomb on August 6, 1945, high above Hiroshima, an industrial city in Japan, the bomb took about one minute to reach its explosion altitude of 1,900 feet. A brilliant flash of yellow light filled the sky as the bomb exploded and rained fire and destruction down upon the city. Earthquake-resistant buildings were instantly flattened by the shock waves. But what the bomb didn't crush, the firestorm that instantly engulfed the city, destroyed. The intense heat reached millions of degrees near the blast point, incinerating everything in its path. An ordinary bomb would damage only a part of a large building, and the damage would generally be limited to the area where the explosion occurred. It would take many, perhaps thousands of ordinary bombs to level a large city like Hiroshima. But the atomic bomb exploded above the city with such enormous firepower that it engulfed the whole city to a range of 10,000 to 12,000 feet from the epicenter, or between two to three miles. The whole city was reduced to ruin in an instant. Hardly a building remained standing. The human toll was enormous. In an instant, 
70,000 to 100,000 people lost their lives, and many thousands more died of wounds and radiation through the next three to four weeks. People were burned nearly two miles away from the blast area. Their clothing was torn off of them, their insides ripped out. Near ground zero, mangled, charred bodies mingled with mangled, charred buildings. People on their way to work or in their offices were burned alive or crushed under falling debris. Whole families were annihilated. It was horrible. Confusion reigned everywhere. It was impossible for fire engines to get to the fires. The medical supplies were exhausted with very quickly, and many people died simply because they could not get treatment. In one instance, at a prison near the center of the blast, some large pieces of a wall were flung 80 feet, and many have gone and may have gone 30 feet in the air before falling. Imagine what would have happened to the people in the blast area. It is almost incomprehensible. The survivors did not know what to do. They were helpless and eventually began to leave the city carrying or dragging the injured with them. There was little help available anywhere. Hospitals were destroyed or damaged. Other medical facilities were almost non-existent. The whole infrastructure of the city was nearly destroyed. Three days later, similar damage was done to Nagasaki in the second atomic attack. One week later, Time magazine wrote, In an instant, without warning, the present had become the unthinkable future. After Hiroshima, it was the United States and the Soviet Union that built the most nuclear devices, thousands of them. The peace was an uneasy peace known as the Cold War. Both sides knew that using their nuclear arsenal would mean a nuclear holocaust that would destroy themselves as well. The nuclear devices became ever more sophisticated and powerful. By today's thermonuclear standards, the bombs of Hiroshima and Nagasaki were primitive and rather mild in their capabilities. Now, much smaller, lighter, and more powerful devices exist that dwarf the effect of the bombs dropped on Japan. But time has gone on still farther. The Soviet Union is no more, yet those bombs and other nuclear devices are still out there. Even though Russia and the United States are committed to reducing the number of nuclear devices in their possession, there are questions about where some of them are, particularly in the former Soviet states. Some nations want to acquire them for strategic political reasons or perhaps even more malevolent purposes. There are even greater questions, however, that face the people of this world. What happens when some of this ordinance gets into the hands of those that are really malevolent? such as al-Qaeda, and, and, and who would indeed use them on their declared enemies. Nuclear devices are far more powerful than they were at the time of World War II, and today 
They are not dependent on aircraft to deliver them. They can be delivered by hand. And with the rise of the global black market in expertise and materials, nuclear bomb devices are increasingly attainable. It is only a matter of time until they are used by terrorists. Former Democratic Senator Sam Nunn was quoted by Time magazine July 24, 2005 as saying, The terrorist threat is to me the most likely use of a nuclear weapon. While the challenge of preventing nuclear proliferation has always been with us since Hiroshima, it is now an enormous and impending crisis. Even though there have recently been agreements to curtail the spread of nukes, and even though the Bush administration has unilaterally decided to cut the total number of nuclear arsenal possessed by the United States by more than half of the current 5,000 warheads, the threat of nuclear holocaust has become much more sinister and far more real than ever before. Even as the Bush administration is reducing its conventional nuclear missile warheads, it is determined, according to Time magazine, not just to modernize its aging arsenal, but also to develop a new type of bomb, the robust nuclear earth penetrator known as the Bunker Buster. The scripture says that nation shall rise against nation. What could be the purpose of a nuclear bunker buster if not to go to war? But the more terrifying reality is not because of international brinkmanship of one nation against another, but because of the accessibility of nukes by individuals and groups such as Al-Qaeda. Now let us return to the report on Al-Qaeda. What Osama bin Laden envisions for the United States of America and perhaps other nations of the Western world is horrific. His goal is not just to destroy one or two cities. He plans to destroy many cities, killing more than four million people in the initial attack. The most shocking part of the report is that it stated that at least two fully assembled and operational nuclear weapons are believed to be hidden in the United States already. Think about it. Nukes already hidden in the United States, awaiting the signal. Many people sit back and expect the government to protect them. They will, of course, blame the government when it happens. But in the end, the only protection will come from the God of heaven. Al-Qaeda's prime target cities are New York, Miami, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Chicago, San Francisco, Las Vegas, Boston, and Washington, D.C. The two on top of that list are New York and Washington, D.C. Such an attack would devastate America and have an enormous effect on the rest of the world. Even one nuclear suitcase bomb would be devastating. But Al-Qaeda plans more than one, simultaneously, and in broad daylight, so that mushroom cloud images will be seen around the world.
Apparently, Al-Qaeda already has at least 40 nuclear weapons from the former Soviet Union, reported WorldNet Daily on July 11, 2005, including suitcase nukes, nuclear mines, artillery shells, and even some missile warheads. In addition, Al-Qaeda had plans to assemble its own nuclear weapons with fissile material it purchased on the black market. How did some of these nuclear weapons get inside the United States? While the Department of Homeland Security has focused mostly on aviation security, the border between Mexico and the United States has been left wide open. Many news reports in the last several years have documented the open sieve along the border and how that it isn't just Mexicans that are crossing. Al-Qaeda has apparently been using smuggling rings to get the weapons across the border and to deploy sleeper agents in the U.S., where they await the timing required for a major multi-pronged attack. Here is what the report from World Net Daily actually said. There is virtually no doubt among intelligence analysts Al-Qaeda has obtained fully assembled nuclear weapons. The only question is how many? Estimates range between a dozen and 70. The breathtaking news is that an undetermined number of these weapons, including suitcase bombs, mines, and crude tactical nuclear weapons, have already been smuggled into the U.S., at least some across the U.S.-Mexico border. This report is shocking, even to those paying attention to world events. While U.S. resources are being deployed in Iraq, our borders have been left unprotected setting up the U.S. for further devastation, as prophesied by Jesus himself. Notice his solemn and frightening words in Matthew 24, verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Do you understand what Jesus said? He said that there will be such terrible trouble that no flesh shall be saved, unless the days are shortened. That is amazing. Where is most flesh living these days? They are living in cities, large and small. It is the cities that are the objects of terrorism, and it is the cities that get bombed or attacked in most conventional wars. It is the cities that end up being the prime targets of the wrath of God, including natural disasters and other judgments that God may bring upon them. Is it any wonder that God's counsel to His people is to leave the cities? Why then do some think that it is in their best interest to stay in the cities? Why do some at their own temporal and eternal peril think that the city can be of benefit to them? 
Why do some theologians recommend that we can safely ignore Ellen White's counsel, which is in reality the counsel of the Lord, and leave our colleges and other institutions in or close to major cities? My friends, it is time to get our families out of the cities. It is time to heed the counsel of the Lord. Escape for thy life is the message of the angels to us today, just like it was to Lot. The cities are like Sodom and Gomorrah. Why should we stay in them? They aren't helping our spiritual life. Too often we become addicted to their entertainment, to their business opportunities, or to their cultural advantages. And like Lot's family, we don't want to leave. But God's mercy will only last so long. While it is true that Al-Qaeda cannot attack the United States until the angels holding back the winds of strife allow them, it is nevertheless vitally important that God's people get out now while they still can. Here is God's counsel. It is found in Adventist Home, page 139. Let it be your study to select and make your homes as far from Sodom and Gomorrah as you can. Keep out of the large cities. If possible, make your homes in the quiet retirement of the country, even if you can never become wealthy by so doing. Locate where there is the best influence. Notice this statement from the Review and Herald, September 10, 1903. Transgression has almost reached its limit. Confusion fills the world. And a great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is very near. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. Note that a great terror is soon to come upon human beings. Do you think Ellen White knew about terrorism? Perhaps she didn't know about all the details, but she believed the word of God and she no doubt saw in vision that men's hearts would fail them for fear and for terror. Terrorism and war are indiscriminate. Many innocent lives are lost, whether they be old or young, man or woman. But more importantly, your eternal destiny is at stake. If you live in or near a large city, get out now. Not just because you're afraid of terrorism, but because you need to get serious about your eternal destiny and the destiny of your family. Terrorism is expanding at a dramatic rate right now. Jihad is just as much a war as is a conventional battle between nation-states. The world may not have known about nuclear bombs in the days of Ellen White, but perhaps Ellen White saw them in vision. Listen to this statement from 8th volume of the Testimonies, page 49. This statement was written in 1900 and essentially predicts communism and the nuclear bomb. The Lord is removing His restrictions from the earth and soon there will be death and destruction increasing crime and cruel, evil working against the rich who have exalted themselves against the poor. 
Those who are without God's protection will find no safety in any place or position. Human agents are being trained and are using their inventive power to put in operation the most powerful machinery to wound and to kill. The buildup of nuclear arms is clearly a fulfillment of prophecy, but the acquisition of these arms by terrorist groups and the usage that is going to be made of them is frightening to them that know not the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 21, verse 25 and 26, Jesus predicts the time just ahead of us. Listen. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. If there ever was a time when men's hearts will fail them for fear, it will be the coming nuclear conflagrations in America and in other parts of the world. But this scripture implies that it will be even worse. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. The elements of nature will attack human habitations. We saw a tiny glimpse of the devastation that is to come upon the cities of the earth in the wake of the earthquake last year in December near Sumatra and the resulting roaring tsunami waves. We need to understand that these things are only tokens of the destruction that is going to be heaped upon a world that is in rebellion to the God of heaven. Many are being troubled by the events taking place in this world. The Holy Spirit is trying to reach many hearts that are thinking deeply about them. The horror and shock that most of us saw during the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon are only a small token of what is going to take place in the near future. There is no time to waste. Now is the time to work. Now is the time to share your faith. Now is the time to explain to the people around you what you know. Otherwise, they'll blame you for their loss after the close of probation. Listen to the words of God's prophet found in Evangelism, page 29. Oh, that God's people had a sense of the impending destruction of thousands of cities, now almost given to idolatry. Think about it. Thousands of cities. That's a lot of people. One way this will happen is through war, whether it is jihad or conventional war. Another way is natural disaster. But the preparations for war that are developing in this world are leading up to the final war, the Battle of Armageddon. We're going to see much more war of a conventional nature in the near future, but we are also going to see a dramatic increase in terrorism as well. Why do you think we have not seen more war and destruction than we have so far? Here is the reason. Listen to God's prophet Ellen White. This is from Manuscript Release 117, 1908. 
We are standing on the threshold of great and solemn events. Prophecies are fulfilling. Strange and eventful history is being recorded in the books of heaven. Events which it was declared should shortly precede the great day of God. Everything in the world is in an unsettled state. The nations are angry, and great preparations for war are being made. Nation is plotting against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. The great day of God is hastening greatly. But although the nations are mustering their forces for war and bloodshed, the command to the angels is still in force that they hold the four winds until the servants of God are sealed in their foreheads. I'm so thankful that so far the angels are still holding the winds of strife. But that is only going to last so long. It is only going to last as long as there are still servants of God being sealed in their foreheads. Are you a servant of God? Are you being sealed in your forehead? When that work is completed, then there will be such strife and bloodshed like never seen before in this world. Not even Hiroshima and Nagasaki will compare, but in the faintest way. We need to get ready. We need to be praying for the sealing in our minds and in our hearts. Turn with me to Ezekiel 9. Listen to the words of the prophet beginning in verse 4. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Notice that those that are sealed are church members who sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. In the midst of what? In the midst of the church. This is not sighing and crying for the abominations that are going on in the earth, though certainly we should be agonizing for lost souls. But the angels of destruction of Ezekiel 9 that go out and that are told to wait until the sealing is finished are waiting until God's servants are sealed precisely because they cry and sigh for the glory of God that is so dishonored among his own people. It is the church that is holding up the sealing process. While we are swinging and swaying, while we are miming and clowning, while we are patting ourselves on the back for all of our accomplishments and parading around, God is looking upon us, penetrating our superficial spirituality, and with pity and patience, He still holds back the winds of strife. He is instructing His destroying angels to wait until his servants sigh and cry for the abominations that are done in the midst of the church. Listen to the voice of God's prophet to the last generation. This is found in the third volume of the Testimonies, page 267. Who are standing in the council of God at this time? Is it those who virtually excuse wrongs among the professed people of God and who murmur in their hearts, if not openly, against those who would reprove sin? Is it those who take their stand against them and sympathize with those who commit wrong? No, indeed. Unless they repent and leave the work of Satan in oppressing those who have the burden of the work, 
and stop holding up the hands of sinners in Zion, they will never receive the mark of God's sealing approval. They will fall in the general destruction of the wicked, represented by the work of the five men bearing slaughtering weapons. Mark this point with care. Those who receive the pure mark of truth, wrought in them by the power of the Holy Ghost, represented by Mark, by the man in linen, are those that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the church. Their love for purity and the honor and glory of God is such, and they have so clear a view of this exceeding sinfulness of sin that they are represented as being in agony, even sighing and crying. Read the ninth chapter of Ezekiel. Are you holding up the hands of sinners in Zion by opposing those who would reprove sin? Are you virtually excusing wrongs among the professed people of God, whether leaders or laymen? Or are you faithfully doing your duty to reprove sin and exalt righteousness? Here's another statement from Evangelism, page 194. There are many who do not understand the prophecies relating to these days, and they must be enlightened. It is the duty of both watchmen and laymen to give the trumpet a certain sound. Be in earnest, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Ellen White is speaking of the church, brothers and sisters, as well as those that are God's people in the world. I say this kindly, and because I love all of God's people, and I want to see them saved in the kingdom. We must give the trumpet a certain sound. We must give the warning to God's people, lest they be lost. We must reprove sin and wrong in the church, as well as in the world, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Friends, we can't do that unless we sigh and cry. We can't help our brothers and sisters unless we agonize with God over their sins and ours. May God help us to do the right thing. Friends, we are near the end. Great confusion and terrible calamities are coming upon this earth. Souls are at stake. Now is the time to get ready spiritually, mentally, and physically. Here is one more statement that I would like to share with you. It is from the first volume of the Testimonies, page 268. I was shown the inhabitants of the earth in the utmost confusion. War, bloodshed, privation, want, famine, and pestilence were abroad in the land. My attention was then called from the scene. There seemed to be a little time of peace. Once more the inhabitants of the earth were presented before me, and again everything was in the utmost confusion. Strife, war, and bloodshed, and famine, and pestilence raged everywhere. Other nations were engaged in this war and confusion. War caused famine. Wanton bloodshed caused pestilence. And then men's hearts failed them for fear, 
and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. There is safety in only one place, the secret place of the Most High. Let me read it to you from Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Where is the secret place of the Most High? That, my friends, is the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. It is where only those that know Jesus and have followed Him there in their hearts and minds that will abide there with Him. It's not recognizable to those who do not know Jesus. They don't understand how to get into the secret place of the Most High. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. That is talking about terrorism and war. Jesus is promising that he will protect his faithful followers so that they will not unnecessarily shed their blood in fruitless war. Nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus promises that you don't have to worry about these terrible things coming upon the world. He promises that you will see the reward of the wicked only with your eyes. Thousands upon thousands shall fall right next to you, but you will be safe. Because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. What wonderful promises! The dragon is Satan. Jesus promises that you will overcome Satan. You'll tread upon him with your feet. He will no longer have the power to tempt you. But that is because you're an overcomer. Only overcomers can get into the secret place of the Most High. Now listen to the next part. It is Jesus' voice speaking directly to your soul. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. 
Jesus is telling you how to avoid the gargantum destruction that is coming upon the world. You can have these promises fulfilled in your life if you trust Him fully. And lastly, Isaiah 54 verse 14 says, In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Our Father in heaven, what terrible times are coming upon this earth. What terrible confusion and bloodshed will be the lot of those that reject your mercy. Lord, we want to be in the secret place of the Most High. We want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Please help us to overcome our sins so that we may be accounted as part of those who will be sealed. Please help us to plead with you for souls. Please help us to be faithful watchmen, even if others will not listen, and give us courage and faith. And thank you, especially for those wonderful promises. They mean so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Day 